1: Hey guys, welcome back to the Guilty as Charged podcast. This is Tyler, and joining me on this Friday are Jason and Steven, as always. Guys, how are you today?
2: Doing fantastic. It's been a really good week, and uh, ready just to talk some quarterbacks today. I'm good.
1: Wow. Alrighty. Well, today we are going to talk about quarterbacks of this draft class, revisiting an old episode from February, because quite a bit has happened, and Jason and Steven, they want to go back over their rankings, and talk about how their opinions of players have changed with time or with watching new film. But if Jason is good, who's not good, that's Mike Pouncey. According to Anthony Lynn, he is not medically cleared yet to resume football activities. Now, the one thing I want to say, and I didn't read much into this, so I don't know. I don't know if COVID-19 makes it more difficult for him to be cleared to begin with because I don't know how impacted doctors are and whatnot. So I don't know if he's just not cleared because... He can't get cleared and he doesn't have access to a doctor right now to clear him and he can't travel or whatever. Um, but either way, he's not cleared right now. Guys, what do you think? So
2: it's really interesting to this point because, I mean, the draft is uh, about four weeks away. So if they want some clarity on this, like they need to get some news from his camp that he's making progress medically. Um, you know, we've talked a bit about adding in another anterior offensive lineman like Tyler Biedaz or Robert Hunt. But if there's any kind of doubt that Pouncey is able to play this upcoming year, I think they absolutely have to add to the interior offensive line. Um, whether that's Hunt, someone who could play guard or tackle, or someone like Bedas who could play center or guard, you know that's kind of up in the air still. But I think they need to add some more depth uh, on the interior offensive line just in case. And even if Pouncy is not cleared and they they want to take someone, at least then you have some more depth, someone that can give Dan Feeney and Forrest Lamp some competition and really just bring more talent into the room which i think would be an added bonus.
3: Well, i mean at this point you've got you got Trey Turner in the room and you've got Questenberry, who is still overlooked by this coaching staff. I, mean, I don't think he exists, guys. Is he even on the roster? Can anybody confirm room with this that for me? White. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're locked in the closet. They're still waiting to get out. It's like uh it's like that episode from New Girl where they just lock him in the closet but they never do the deed, so they never let (laughs) him out.
2: (laughs) With Jess and Nick.
3: Yep. And so poor Kaiser and and Scott Questenberry, man. Um, Look, you look right to left. You got Trey Turner, you got Scott Questenberry, or Mike Pouncey. I like either of those two starting center. Like, if if Questenberry is the guy going in, that's fine. Even Dan Feeney at center is, like, fine with me. I'm not opposed to it. Uh, I would say it goes in that order of Questenberry, Pouncy, and then Feeney, personally. I know some people would like Pouncy more, and I can't argue with that. Like, that's fine. Um, so that's that's not bad at center. Like, even if Pouncy is not cleared to go, I'm cool with Feeney and Quessenberry competing. It's left guard that's more concerning because you're looking at, at that point, you're looking between Forest Lamp and whoever didn't win the starting center job being either Dan Dan Feeney or Scott Quesenberry. You could maybe throw Ryan Groy in there by let's not. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, you, you could have a interior line competition already. You could add somebody. I think that would, I mean, as Anthony Lynn said today, the uh, competition is invaluable. Like there ne- there can never be too much competition. Now um, he takes it to an extreme because right now we have Chris Harris and Desmond King competing for the same spot, which is insane. But we're not going to get into that because then I'll get mad and we're not getting <laughs> mad today. So Pouncy, whether he's healthy or not, I like the interior line situation because of the addition of Trey Turner. I just think that with that veteran presence and then you also have to take James Campen into account here. You have you have depth there and you have guys that have different skill sets. Like I would say Forrest Lamp is much more aware, whereas Dan Feeney is probably a stronger lead blocker. So you have these guys with different versatile skill sets. And um, it's just up to putting them in a position to succeed. And I, I don't think they've been put into the, su- the into the position to succeed. So, I mean, I'm okay with the depth right now, regardless of Pouncey or not. But if they were to go get a Tyler Biedaz in round three or four, I would not be opposed at all, like at all.
1: All right. That's it. Let's turn our attention back to quarterbacks. Uh, I'll let you guys start it off wherever you want, unless you'd like to jump into one of like the half dozen fan submitted questions regarding quarterbacks. So, I mean, Stephen, kick us off. Go for it.
2: I'll just start off going over the rankings for a little bit. Um, my top three did not change. Uh, I went back this week and, and rewatched uh, a lot of film on a lot of different prospects. Um, I even went back and looked at some 2018 film from Jake Fromm and Justin Herbert and Jordan Love specifically, Um, So my top three is still Joe Burrow, Tua Tonga-Bailoa, and Jake Fromm at number three. Um, I tweeted out today that Jake Fromm is still being slept on, and I don't really understand why. There's still this narrative that he doesn't have talent, that he's not uh, a talented quarterback, and, yeah, he doesn't run a super fast 40 time. But I really believe in Jake Fromm's talent, and I think that he's going to be a very successful quarterback, especially because he's likely going into a very good situation Uh, Because he's not going to be an early top 15 quarterback choice like the other uh, quarterbacks on this list are likely going to be. So don't be surprised if Jake Fromm is a very successful quarterback going uh, into the future. And then uh, after that is where it kind of gets a little more muddy for me. Um, I actually have Jordan Love at 4, Justin Herbert at 5, so that hasn't changed. Um, But after watching 2018 tape, I did give... Uh, Justin Herbert a bit of a better grade so he is a little closer to Jordan Love than I had previously and then originally I had Jacob Eason at six Um, he's now at 10 Uh, just looking back on the film and really diving into his habits and his decision making I just really uh, didn't like it so his accuracy is really inconsistent his decision making throwing into traffic is inconsistent his footwork is really inconsistent Um, I mean, it shows that he was a transfer player who never really got a chance to play except for last year. I think his fundamentals are all over the map. That being said, he has a lot of splash throws. He has the cannon of an arm. And I think eventually if he's in a right, in a good situation, he could be a successful quarterback. Um, just right now I put him at 10 because of all of his inconsistency. After that, I have Tyler Huntley at seven, Jake Luton out of Oregon state at eight and Anthony Gordon at nine. So that's my 10. Really, the only changes for me, like I mentioned, was Jacob Eason uh, falling and then Anthony Gordon moving into the top ten at number nine.
3: So I feel like I'm going to start with the the big name here that everybody expects me to talk about is is Jordan Love. So now Jordan Love is still my QB one; it has not changed. My top three is mainly the same with Love at QB one, From at QB two, and Burrow at QB three. And um, I know a lot of people. Don't like that I have Burrow at QB3, but listen, there's just Burrow was in a perfect situation. And if you want to look at him from what does he do that's elite perspective, the one thing I would say he does do that is elite is he has a really strong processor. Yeah. And like a really strong processor, guys. So, Joe Burrow, I really like him. The fact that he's my QB three is not a knock against him. He's graded right up there with From and Love. I think I'm just not as high on this quarterback class as a whole as everybody else is. Everybody looks at these guys and they're like well, Love, From, Burrow, and then you've got Tua and Herbert, and everybody thinks, "Wow, that's five first round talent guys." Or some have From as a as a round two talent, round three talent. I have him as a first round talent still, um, but they're like they are all. Low, like first round talents, like late first round talents for me. None of these guys, even Burrow, even Tua, are early first round talents for me. And now that's not me saying you shouldn't take them in the early first round because a quarterback's value is always going to be inflated based upon the need of the team. If a team needs a quarterback, you take him if you believe in him, no matter where it is, because it's the most valuable position in football. So, I mean, my top three still hasn't changed, but. Just because I have uh, love From and Burrow in that order does not mean there's a big gap between them at all. So now talking about love here, um, there seems to be a misconception that because Jordan Love had a lot of interceptions that that ties into his processor, and that just because he makes those bad decisions that lead to those interceptions, which not all those interceptions are because of bad decisions, guys. And I and it's kind of a misconception in both. For both Phillip Rivers, Jordan Love, guys like that, that more, interception, more interceptions means more bad decisions. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that ties into it. Like Phillip Rivers, you saw that he had a below average offensive line, and it was awful. Like everything tied in to that offensive line being below average, and then you tie that with uh, Philip Rivers' lack of mobility, and it's just an awful storm. But then at the same time, you talk about Jordan Love, and everybody kind of ignores it. Everybody ignores it, right, that there was a lack of talent around him. And they said, well, he was in the Mountain West Conference, so the talent across from him also sucked. That's not necessarily true. But, look, you can say all you want about Jordan Love, but you can knock his processor. And I've seen a lot of people do that just because of interceptions. Um, Processor does not mean decision-making. Anticipation does not mean decision-making. And general awareness of what's going on around you is not decision-making. Those are all different things. It's the big four in terms of mental processing, mental like what goes on mentally and in what order like you think of things. So generally, prior to the snap, you call that a football IQ. And then when you get to the point of facing pressure, it's more of a general awareness of what's going on around you and the situation presented to you. And then you work into processing and go through your reads. And so that processing and that general awareness tie in together a lot. And um, the end result being the decision making. And so the decision made for you is not, well, it's not made for you. You make the decision. But the decision presented to you, the result, is not tied into processing and awareness generally. It can be tied into so many things. And so... What you find with Jordan Love is that processor works really well when he's allowed to use it. And the crappy thing is is that Utah State's offense did not allow him to use it. And that, sound, that sounds weird like, well, a processor is just a quarterback going through reads, right? It's so much more than that. So I'll, I'll give a specific example here just to kind of show what I'm talking about. If you run a flood pattern, so what a flood is is you run a flat and out and a, a streak or a post. It's basically, or even a corner, it's basically a three-read a three read play or a two-read play, depending on the coverage. And what you got there is, I think Steven talked about it a bit, is almost like a triangle that you're setting up there. And it's a route concept that needs a lot of room to work. Utah State had this dumb-as-fluff tendency to run flood to the narrow side of the field.
2: Oh, so annoying.
3: It was the worst thing ever. Now, the reason you want a lot of room for flood is because you have the the corner and the linebacker being the main reads if you're in zone, and then obviously you've got the two slot guys, whether it be a linebacker or a safety, coming in to cover the interior receiver. Um, So it just depends on that, but you want to have room to see who's open, to have windows, and those throwing windows are important. And it's such a pattern, whether you're running like a spot pattern or a flood. Um, and so what, what it generally is, you have that slot corner and he's covering the flats, uh, that means that generally you can, you can manipulate that coverage with your eyes to make the decision between throwing the out and the flat. Now, the problem with running it to the narrow side of the field is that corner now has less space to cover. So now he can jump any route he wants, even the, even the streak at times, he was able to jump because it was just, everything was so condensed. So now as the quarterback, what is, what are you supposed to do there? Well, you can't really do anything. And that's the crappy part of running that concept to the narrow side of the field is you either a check it down, B look to your other receiver isolated on the other side of the field or C you take the sack slash run it. Um, Jordan Love took the decision of trying to make those tight window throws. Trusting his arm way too much, right? Um, there was a play at the end of the Wake Forest game where they had a pattern like that. Where they had a flat and then an out. Or it was a comeback. I can't remember if it was a comeback or an out. Uh, but you had a high-low situation where you had a receiver underneath and you had a receiver crossing the middle. Uh, he threw to the middle receiver but because the spacing was so close between that flat route and that crossing route in the middle you have a you have a position that you've put your quarterback in where there's almost a, a no-win scenario because if he throws to that flat route it's getting tackled immediately and there's still an opportunity to make a play on it if he does try to get it over there's still a possibility that it gets picked off and that's just kind of the thing I'm talking about here is I had to, I had to explain all this I'm sorry but Uh, Just trying to paint a picture here for why I still have faith in Love as a quarterback that can use his processor to his advantage. Because when you turn on the tape and you watch Love work, despite of what's going on around him, you can tell that he has a really strong processor that he's almost not allowed to use because of of the situations presented to him. Uh, another good example of this would be they ran one of the, they ran a flood concept to the right side of the field. Um, again, to the narrow, narrow side and on the, on the backside, they isolated the wide receiver on a curl route and they had their running back leak out to that isolated side on a flat. Jordan Love's first read was to look at that flood pattern. He hated it obviously because there was no room. And despite being come, despite being under pressure he was able to look right to left, set his feet, and deliver a ball to the curl route once he recognized that it was man coverage on the right side. So he never had to look at the coverage on the left side. He never even had to look. Immediately, once he set his feet left and was able to um, to set his base, which is something he sometimes struggles with, is setting his base, um, he was able to, to deliver a curl route basically without looking at the, at the corner at all because he knew it was man coverage. He trusted his receiver, which, I mean... He probably shouldn't trust his receivers, which is another (laughs) bad part of that Utah State offense. Um, And that's just kind of the thing with Jordan Love is he was able to deliver in a lot of moments when he should not have been able to. And, man, there was just so many plays where he would, whether it was pressure in his face, whether it was a stupid route concept, whether it was playing a big school and you're playing on this Mountain West Conference team, it's just he was able to deliver and his team just failed him so often. And it was, it was really hard to watch. So I'll try not to talk about love too much more. I'll just leave it with this. Um, As I said a moment ago, you have processing, you have anticipation, you have general awareness, and then you have decision-making. They are all different things. Decision-making is coachable, right? Processing is harder to coach than making a decision. And so, you can tell a quarterback, this is what you've processed. So this is the decision you make. This is not the decision you should have made. You make this decision instead. That's a lot easier than telling a quarterback how to process the field and um, process the play around him. And Jordan Love has the anticipation. He has the general awareness, and he has the processing. Those are three big things you want. You can get past the bad decisions. You. It's a lot harder to get past the other three. When you go to Justin Herbert <laughs> – Out of those four things, he has a lot more problems than just the decision-making. The decision-making I actually like from Justin Herbert. It's how long he takes to get to that spot, to where he makes the decision. Um, And then you also talk about Jacob Eason, who probably sucks at all four of them. So, (laughs) I mean, I actually like Jacob Eason's anticipation. But I just want to leave it off with that, what Jordan Love is you can't just look at the numbers and decide what he is and isn't good at. You can't do it because you really got to dive into the tape to understand Jordan Love as a prospect. And so numbers fool people a lot, guys. Mitch Trubisky was good in college, all right? And um, it's just you can't trust the numbers too much. Otherwise, Jalen Hurts is your top quarterback maybe in this class. or Well, I mean, Joe Burrow is, but... I mean, Jalen Hurts is a close second in this class, and that's just not the case, guys. It's just it's not the case. Um, but as I said, Jake Fromm is still my QB2. Joe Burrow is my, still my QB3. It has not changed off of that. Tua is still my QB4. And um, as Steven was saying about Jake Fromm, by the way, the, the quote-unquote lack of talent doesn't exist, all right? This guy can throw a football really well, and he can throw it really well off a of platform. Now, that's really important for a quarterback is Jake Fromm had a situation. There was a specific play. I've shared it on Twitter before where he did not have his feet set and pressure was in his face. And he was on the left hash and he threw it on a dime to the right sideline to where the receiver had to toe tap. That is clean. And you're talking about maybe five quarterbacks in the NFL that can make that kind of throw consistently. Jake Fromm's accuracy and anticipation is so good that he can make that throw consistently. Whether or not he has the Justin Herbert rocket arm, which he doesn't, but you can't say he has a weak arm. I think Patrick Mahomes has kind of spoiled scouts a little bit to where they're looking for Jordan Love. They're looking for Justin Herbert, and they're kind of ignoring guys like... Guys like Jake Fromm, despite the the talent upstairs, right? The talent in between the ears, and that's where Jake Fromm is really special is his ability to process the play, his ability to throw with anticipation, his general awareness, and the decision making. He makes good decisions. He really does. And so, I know we've talked about how Jake Fromm isn't a good fit with the Chargers, but you know Anthony Lynn has put a lot of emphasis on protecting the football. And so if he decides he wants a good decision-maker, he wants a guy with good awareness, and he wants a guy to protect the football. I mean, I could I could see Jake Fromm. Um, the only thing that Jake Fromm does not match is the mobility that Lynn covets so much, or seems to covet so much. So I
2: think Fromm can run. Like, the, you know, he shows off every once in a while that he can run. I mean, he, he ran like a 5-something 40, so he's not like Tyrod Taylor fast, but, I mean, he can do it. But the thing that I really like about Jake Fromm, I tweeted this out today, is that, he works the sidelines better than anyone in this class. You talk about back shoulder fades. You talk about comebacks. You talk about all these throws that you see so often in the NFL. Jake Fromm is the best in this class at that. And sure. He can't throw the ball 70 yards down the field. Like Justin Herbert can, but you talk about mentally, like Jason is saying, and just like overall NFL technique from a quarterback, like Jake Fromm is the best in this class, in my opinion. And, he his ball placement is fantastic and he'll like when Justin herbert misses, he misses seven feet over the receiver's head. he misses three yards short. when Jake Frow misses, it always hits the receiver's hands. He always gives his guy a chance to go get it and that's something that Justin herbert really struggles with his in his accuracy and his ball placement is really inconsistent. and i think because he threw so many screen passes, and people look like at his completion percentage, that that really inflates that percentage, and so people think, oh, Herbert is an is an accurate player, but he really his ball placement is really inconsistent, and um, that's something that Jake Fromm really excels at to me is just the ball placement is always right on point. He always gives his guy a chance to go get it, and I I love Jake Fromm. I think Jake Fromm is going to be a steal, and I think he's probably going to end up with like the Saints or the Patriots or somebody like that. And they're going to get Jake Fromm. I think you talk about a player that fits perfectly what teams want. And he's the perfect Sean Payton, Bill Belichick quarterback. And that uh, is just going to be a great fit for for both sides.
3: Yeah, I mean, like, there was a – somebody shared a notebook that Bill Belichick had, a scouting notebook, where he described the perfect quarterback for him. And he said, leadership – accuracy, size are all things he values. He doesn't care about the arm strength, right? He, he doesn't care about that. He cares if you could get the ball there. And so, I mean, Jake Fromm seems like somebody that he'd go for. I mean, when you talk about a leader, you talk about somebody who's accurate and makes good decisions, something Bill Belichick loves, and um, I could see him to the Patriots. And if the Patriots get him, I'm going to be kind of mad uh, because it's just going to it's gonna keep going. So, my QB4 is still Tua, and people have this kind of misconception with me where I think that I don't like Tua because of the injuries. I It's not that I don't like Tua, <laughs> guys, but in terms of why he's my QB4, it's not because of the injuries. I just don't like him as much as everybody else does, and everybody kind of ignores that with me where I'm, I gave Tua the QB4 grade because I just don't think he's that good. I just don't. And I know a lot of people are are saying, well, the reason you have him graded low is because you think he's going to get injured again. I actually don't think he's going to get injured again. I think he's going to be fine. Do I think there's risk there? Sure, of course. I mean, when you have three lower body injuries in two years, there's going to be some risk. Like, uh, there's a there's definitely a chance he injures again. But, I mean, the two ankle injuries, he played through it. So that's toughness. That's toughness right there. And, I mean... The big thing is if your quarterback's out, that's the problem. You know, quarterbacks are banged up all the time, all the time. Phillip Rivers played with broken ribs and torn ACLs. And, you know, I think he had a broken back at one point or like a slipped disc. I don't remember, but uh, he played beat up all the time. So Tua injuries aren't necessarily the concern with me. It's just the fact that he had such an easy offense to perform in. Like he really did. And I don't. Like the processor as much as a lot of people do. I know Stephen loves the processor, but um, I just I see him work through his progressions and it's it's actually kind of slow to me. But because he has the the receivers, it it looks okay. It looks great actually because he has. It's I swear between Devonte Smith, Jerry Judy, and and Henry Ruggs, it's like and Jalen Waddle. I mean, he had his pick. Like it was just pick one guy to follow. But uh he does have a decent processor. I just don't think it's the A plus processor that he's that he's kind of given by by everybody. And uh you talk about everybody talking about From's lack of arm talent, quote unquote. I'd say Tua has the same arm. Like is that a stretch to say? Like I would say Tua and From's arm are maybe like I would say Tua has maybe if you're grading it from one to 10, like one point higher than Jake Fromm. And so like, I just, I don't understand it. And I guess that's back to Fromm, but anyways, I'll stop talking about Jake Fromm, I promise. Um, QB5 here is actually the the big one for me is Justin Herbert, who moved up a a few spots for me. Now I would really, really did not like Justin Herbert early on, like at all all like when you talk about the accuracy you talk about i still hate him against pressure (laughs) like if you throw pressure at justin herbert it's bad but um he's going to have maybe the second or third best arm the second he steps onto a football field like in the nfl and the only two being higher maybe josh allen and patrick mahomes and just that potential is so huge but you got to be careful when you get up when you get caught up in that potential. Paxton Lynch had the same potential mm-hmm. and it's just it's scary. Justin Herbert is really scary to me. I still don't like Josh Allen. I know a lot of people like Josh Allen because he put up the good numbers last year. I still don't like him, guys. Like I just I watch him play and I'm just like I'm really glad the Chargers did not draft Josh Allen. And that's kind of who I feel like Justin Herbert is, is like, he's really close to who Josh Allen was. I just think Josh Allen had a way better processor than Justin Herbert. So I don't, I don't know. I know a lot of people, I know I actually discovered that a lot of chargers fans aren't pro Herbert. Well, I don't know if that's a common theme, but that seems to be what I'm seeing on Twitter lately is like, not a lot of people like Herbert to the chargers. He's like their last resort. And the only people who really do like Herbert to the chargers are the people that don't want love. So it's kind of interesting there. Uh, QB6 is Tyler Huntley out of Utah, uh, Stephen's boy. Yes, and sir. Uh, Tyler Huntley, I mean, I've talked about this before, but the, one of the first things I acknowledge in a quarterback is can he deliver under pressure? And Tyler Huntley can. Mm-hmm. And so, man, the to think that he could be going in the fifth or sixth round. I think a team is going to be pleasantly surprised when they get him into their locker room because he's going to be a Gardner Minshew. Everybody always asks, who's the next Gardner Minshew? Who's the next Dak Prescott? It's Tyler Huntley to me in this draft. Everybody talks about Jalen Hurts being that guy. To me, it's Tyler Huntley. I just, I think Tyler Huntley has a stronger processor than Hurts by a mile. Um, And I think Tyler Huntley faces pressure a lot better than Jalen Hurts. Uh, throwing in the face of pressure. Most importantly, Jalen Hurts scrambles away from pressure better, but Tyler Huntley throws against pressure better. Um, up next, I have Kelly Bryant out of Missouri at QB seven. So Kelly Bryant is ahead of Jalen Hurts, and this is just kind of that us revisiting the quarterbacks. I didn't like Jalen Hurts at all this time around. I don't know if you shared the same thing, Steven but I was so much lower on Jalen Hurts this time around. I just I watched his tape and you know it it is like he has eyes in the back of his head sometimes when it comes to pressure, but he doesn't do anything with it. He'll hold onto the ball and he'll either take the sack or he'll try to run and he'll wait until he sees somebody open. He won't anticipate it and he won't process what's going on in the field. He'll wait until that player is open. And so I, I've said I to Hurts defense. I don't think his receivers are as good as people think they were I mean I do like C- CD Lamb but not nearly as much as others do CeeDee Lamb is still first round talent for me but so are 8 other receivers so I mean with Hurts I'm just really nervous that people are falling in love with the the big numbers and the the mobility that Lynn wants like all the fans know by now Lynn wants mobility so they're like Jalen Hurts uh, be careful. That's all I'm going to say is be careful.
2: Yeah, I just think with Jalen Hurts, like you know, he suffers from the same kind of things that uh, Justin Herbert does as far as ball placement for me. And you know, even with the players at Oklahoma getting open all the time and the lack of elite secondary competition in the Big Twelve, like his ball placement is not always very accurate. And I think he thro- he overthrows a lot of people a lot. He underthrows people. He has a really strong arm, which I noticed a little bit more this time around than the first time around. He can really just fit it into tight windows. Um, but his ball placement isn't great. His processor isn't great. And he, like he delivers under pressure. I, I will say that he's really good at handling pressure, like you're saying. Yeah. But sometimes he suffers from the phantom pressure too much, and so he'll have a clean pocket, and he'll run before the play develops. Um, I mean, he'll run for a first down. So like, that's fine. But I just think sometimes when there's actual pressure, he's almost too calm and collected. And then when there's not pressure, he gets happy feet and he just bails too early. Right. So his technique, as far as facing pressure is a little inconsistent for me. Um, I didn't move him spots. You know, first time we did this, he was my QB six and he's still my QB six. Um, but I did give him a lower grade just because I didn't, I didn't love the mental processing aspect of his game this time around. I think he can be coached
3: though. Oh yeah. And for I mean, sure. I will never like, even though he is my QB eight, understand that I am not going to bet against Hertz. And even if they take Hertz in the second round, I'm not going to be mad. Like, because when you have the heart dedication, the just the mentality that Jalen Hertz has, I'm going to I'm gonna bet on your success more often than not. So I'll be okay with Hurts. If they draft Hurts, yeah.
2: And you get him in a situation where he can sit and learn from Tyrod for two years, like that's a perfect situation for him. Right. So, you know, maybe he's not as high ceiling as a guy like Jordan Love or Justin Herbert or Tua, but you talk about a guy that can come in for your franchise and be a quarterback for 10 years, like – after learning from Tyrod, I think who compares, uh, really well to him. Like that's a really good situation for Jalen hurts. And yeah, I would be totally okay with it too. If you take him in the second round, um, a lot of people like in our mock draft episode, uh, from this past episode, a lot of people were taking him at 71. I don't think he'll be there just because of the QB value. Um, but if they took him in the second round, I wouldn't be mad about that at all. You know, you can take a guy, an elite talent in the first round, you take Jalen Hurts in the second round, and I think that's pretty solid.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'd give it a solid B. Like, I wouldn't be hyped about it, but, I mean, I wouldn't be mad at it either. And, like, give me a couple of days and I will be hyped because you know, you know the second Jalen Hurts walks up to the podium, if you're allowed to, but the second that Jalen Hurts has an interview with the Chargers and he, like, shows his mentality, I'll be hyped because that man, like, you can't root against him. He's so... Just a really good person, man. And he's just a really hard worker. Uh, after Hertz, it's just Cole McDonald and DeAndre Francois for me at QB 9 and 10. No Eason. And um, McDonald kind of tore it up at the combine. He did, <laughs> He yeah. ran a really fast forward E, and I was not expecting that. I expected him to be like uh, like maybe like 4'9", <laughs> but you know, props to Cole McDonald. He went off and uh, shaved the hair and got faster. And, um, Cole McDonald as a thrower is where I'm gonna talk about him mainly. He just, he has a good processor and he has decent accuracy. There's just some, some questionable things in there, like his general awareness. I question his arm talent in general. I don't think he throws the strongest ball. And, um, you know, I like McDonald as, you know, a mid round guy, but, I know some Patriots fans have talked about drafting Cole McDonald and him being their next Tom Brady. Eh, I don't know. I don't know about that one. But. Yeah.
2: I mean, the, the dude got benched in every single game, so there's a yeah. lot of there's a lot of concerns there as far as talent goes. I actually do like his arm talent, um, and he's mobile. You know, he has some good athletic tools, but the mental aspect of the game was just you know really not there. So,
3: lastly, I got DeAndre Francois. And the key thing to understand about DeAndre Francois is I've talked about this so many times, but the ability to deliver under pressure. And we were talking about with Jalen Hurts, he recognizes the pressure and he handles it well, but does he execute in the face of it? It does. He is his technique against the pressure. Valid, I guess is the word I'm going to use here. So DeAndre Francois, everything you want under pressure, he does under pressure. You want a good, clean football out under pressure, he'll deliver. If you want him to scramble under pressure, he'll do it at the right moments. I swear, every t- he's better against the blitz than he is regularly. And that's kind of interesting. It's like when you throw everything at him, that's when he will deliver and be the best quarterback he can be. And um, I just like his tape a lot, guys. I think uh, he throws with anticipation better than a lot of these late-round guys people talk about. And I mean, he does have that, that big school experience, you know, he can compete at a higher level than he's at right now with Hampton um, talk about Florida state. He was no joke at Florida state at all. He was, he was a valid quarterback. He was a good quarterback, not, not elite prospect at all, but he was, a, he was a good quarterback. And um, I think Francois does deserve another chance to, to compete, but Being at Hampton, it doesn't do you any favors. And, I mean, I just, you watch Francois, you watch his footwork, you watch his technique, and I think he can do it. I think he can do it at the next level. And maybe, I I mean, I imagine he probably won't get the chance. But I think if he was given the chance, he would be a valuable backup in this league. So that's my top 10 guys. And now I've got to ask Tyler here because I don't think he's ever told us straight up. Which quarterback do you like, Tyler? Like, which quarterback do you like the most for the Chargers? Like, what is what is your ideal guy from rounds one through seven? Who do you like?
1: Jeez, oh, geez. Rounds one through seven, who do I like? I'm kind of with Steven on the whole Tua train. Sorry, I know that you... Oh, by the way, I had a thought while you were talking. I just wanted to point out, I don't know if your grades have changed, Jason, but for anyone who's... Say, oh, you know, Jason hates Tua. And unless your grades have changed, and I don't know that the difference between Jordan Love and Tua for Jason is four points out of eighty. So it's not like Jason hates Tua. Right he's no. QB four. It's not. It's not that far off. I just want to point that out for for everyone. I'm a Tua guy. I personally, especially now that he's apparently medically practically healthy and he says he's ready to go today, um, I'm all in on him. I had no idea I would have been a fan of this guy until. Until I think maybe Jason, you feel the same way until Steven pointed out Tyler Huntley. And it's not just because of his first name. (laughs) (laughs) I just like, I don't know what it is. There's something like, I'm just so confused about why he's projected to be in like the fifth round. I just think he'd be such an interesting pickup for the chargers. So both those guys are guys that I'm looking at, but that's off of a very, very limited amount of film and exposure. I originally really liked Jacob Eason because I think I got really lucky with the film that I watched where I was like, I watched a couple of his games against, like, some decent competition. And I was like, wow, this guy's making a lot of decent throws, and, you know, he's moving. And, he's and I was like, wow, this is really great. You know, and then you guys are like, well, he's my QB, you know, 57, <laughs> 8 or whatever. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess I should, I guess I just got lucky or whatever. So, and I started to watch more, and of course, it's like, oh, yeah, he's only, you know, he's only been there for a year or whatever. So, I thought I was an Eason fan. Um, I can't say much about Hertz. I barely watched Hertz. Uh, who else? Love. I if I went through and graded, I probably wouldn't have been a huge fan of Love, to be honest. But again, I've always said I'm very risk averse. Um, but again, like I haven't watched a whole lot of Love stuff. And and the breakdown that Stephen had was pretty good about how his interceptions, you know, his 17 interceptions kind of go from like 17 to you know 13 if you you know count out just like the defense making insanely good reads, and then it goes to like 10 if you count out you know, the receiver just drops the ball or whatever. So, I don't know. I probably would have had to revisit Jordan Love. But for me right now, it's, it's I'm all in on Tua because Burrow's not there. And then I would have gone late, late, late to Huntley. But at the end of the day, I'm still a Tyrod Taylor fan. Yeah, Tyrod. Let's go.
3: Yeah, Tyrod Taylor all the way. I love Tyrod Taylor. I have a question. Sure. For both of you. Mm-hmm. Let's say every single quarterback is available at six. Mm-hmm. Let's make it more realistic. Let's say the Bengals go Chase Young and the Redskins go Isaiah Simmons or something like that and the Chargers trade up to 3. And they have a pick of any quarterback they want. It's not realistic at all, but I just wanted sure. to hy- hypothetically it's more I guess. Yeah. Who are you taking? Are you still taking Tua?
1: No, I'd still go I go go Joe Burrow. That just solves all your problems. You get the one of the greatest college quarterback performances ever who I think is probably the best quarterback in the draft. I just didn't watch much of Joe Brooks. I just thought I was like, you know, well, what's the point, you know, let you guys do that. But, um, and plus he sells tickets. Sorry. At the end of the day, he's a guy who sells tickets. So it kind of just solves everything.
2: So that's, that's a really interesting question. I'm surprised no one asked, asked us that. Um, honestly, I've said this, uh, a few times to my wife. Um, my guy in this draft is Tua. Um, I graded him a little lower than Joe Burrow. I think it was like two points, um, mm-hmm. just because you know I had to take in the health concerns there, um, and just the amazing supporting cast. And Tua does struggle a little bit with turnovers, um, but when I watch Tua, it just you know you see the quick twitch, you see the footwork, you see the technique, you see the fundamentals, and just picturing him, I just think he gets the ball out so quick, and. Like Jason saying, I don't think he has the strongest arm. Yeah, I, I agree with the like one point above Jake Fromm as far as arm strength goes. But just like the touch, the accuracy, mm-hmm. the get the ball out quick, I think that would be such a good fit for what the Chargers want to do with Keenan Allen, with Hunter Henry, with Mike Williams, and whoever they draft uh, to be the burner. I just think Tua would be the best fit. Um, Joe Burrow, while he would sell tickets like, like Tyler saying, and bring that swag or bring that mentality to the chargers, I just, I, I'm not crazy about the fit with the chargers. I think, you know, he's more of like an Aaron Rodgers and that wants to prolong plays and have all this freedom and be able to do everything that Phillip Rivers had as far as being able to control the offense. So I think Tua fits better with the chargers and I think that's probably why the, why I'm so in on Tua and you know LA has a huge Polynesian population and he's from Hawaii so I think Mm. Tua would sell just as much just as many tickets as Joe Burrow would honestly
3: one more question before we get into the general Twitter questions here if you had your choice if you could guarantee that you could get your guy next year whoever that may be would you wait until next year to draft a quarterback if you're guaranteed your guy
1: well yeah, if you're guaranteed then then sure. I'm I'm I want to see the Tyrod Taylor experiment.
3: So like my guy next year is Jamie Newman. Out of Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, my guy is Jamie Newman. I don't know who Stevens is or Tyler Zids, but mine's Fields. Like, fields? I love fields, I, mean, I love Fields. I love Fields too, man. Like if you're talking about next year's draft class of quarterbacks compared to this year, all three of next year's dra- uh, quarterbacks are higher graded than the ones in this class. All three of them Uh, for me, for me and the highest graded quarterback I have is Jordan Love with only a 62. So that's a, that's a late round first. As I was saying earlier, Justin Fields, I just did it for, for fun just to test it out. He has a 71 for me. So, I mean, Hmm. that's almost a full 10 points above any quarterback in this class. So I was just curious to ask, Would you guys be okay with waiting one year to go get your guy? I already
2: said yes. Sorry, I I I would be okay with that because I am so curious to see what this team looks like with Tyrod Taylor for a year. And you know, you don't need to take a quarterback this year. I, you know, there's a lot of people who say like, "Oh, you're never going to be this early." Well, this class, this draft class, has some really elite players at the top, and so. You know, you take a guy like Judgerick Wills at six, and then next year you take, you know, Jamie Newman. I think, I think honestly, uh, Lawrence and Fields will go one and two next year. That's just kind of how it feels from, from the media perspective of players. Um, but then you can go trade up for Jamie Newman, and I'd be okay with that because you have a better supporting cast than, you know, taking uh, Herbert or Love or maybe Tua Falls to six. Um, so, yeah, I, I would be okay with it just because I'm so – curious to see what this team could do with Tyrod Taylor this year and you know i think people still don't understand what kind of player Tyrod is going to be able to be in this kind of situation with the talent that is around him and the the coach that believes in him um i think Tyrod with this team is good for 10 wins maybe 11 or 12 depending on how the, the chips fall um but i think this is a playoff team with Tyrod Taylor i really do uh so yeah i'd be okay with waiting for a year could they win a super bowl with
1: Tyrod Taylor if they draft Jeff- Jeffrey Okuda and build up that defense, sure.
2: Interesting. Yeah, if you get Okuda on this defense, and you have elite pass rushing, you have very good defensive tackles, maybe you draft Malik Harrison in the second or third round, shore up the linebacker spot, and then you have the best secondary in recent memory with Okuda, Casey Hayward, Chris Harris, Desmond King, Derwin James, Nasir Adderley, like that secondary would be insane. I, I you think got elite sh- safety. Oh, I'm sorry, Rayshawn Jenkins. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't want to say <laughs> Rayshawn Jenkins. Man, um, that's tough. I honestly, I'm a believer in the best quarterback wins the Super Bowl, and for me, the best quarterback in the league is Patrick Mahomes. So, I say they would be able to make the playoffs and win a playoff game. I don't know if they could win a Super Bowl in that kind of situation. But they could make it really interesting and they could certainly come close.
3: Well, because the Chargers seem to have Patrick Mahomes' number. I know everybody seems yep. to ignore that. Mm-hmm. Like the Chiefs right. Chiefs fans are always like talking about, well, Patrick Mahomes still gonna throw three hundred yards on the Chargers defense with Chris Harris. He couldn't do it without Chris Harris. All right. The only time <laughs> Patrick Mahomes did was his very first game as a starter. Um, in his second and year no one knew who he was and that was
2: because Tyreek Hill made Jaleel Adai look like a bum and burned him for like two 90 yard touchdowns or whatever it was right
3: so I want to hear it I want to hear it the Chargers can stop Patrick Mahomes they can compete with
2: Patrick Mahomes take care of the ball and I think they could beat the Chiefs so and I will say like the AFC is definitely the weaker conference right now like uh, the AFC West I think is probably the best division in the AFC just from a talent perspective but the AFC overall, like, I I think the Patriots will still make the playoffs, but they'll take a step back. I don't really believe in the Bills, even though they added Stephon Diggs. Um, you know, you have the Chiefs, obviously. You have the Raiders and Broncos, but really the AFC is much weaker. Like, you look at the NFC and you can go 1 to 10 teams that could realistically make the playoffs and be very good. The AFC is like 3 or 4, which is what we usually see, like, the Texans are going to take a big step back with DeAndre Hopkins. Maybe the Colts take a step forward with Rivers. You know, I hope for him he has a really good year. But really, like contender-wise, it's the Chiefs and a bunch of question marks. So the AFC is totally wide open, in my opinion. And, and the Charters with Tyrod Taylor, if they win 10 games, you know, get into a wild card spot and in the right situation, they could definitely win a playoff game or two. I mean, we saw that with Ryan Tannehill last year with the Titans. Like the AFC is very winnable and sure you have the chiefs but everybody else is kind of just like at that solid level there's no really great team besides the chiefs
3: which is why you get
2: your quarterback you won
3: at six for the chargers if you go and nail it then this this division gets really interesting this conference gets really interesting if the chargers find their guy because man i think the chargers are closer than people think but um not tom brady close but
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah just really glad that that didn't happen (laughs) Oh, yeah. So I know we're, we're already running at 48 minutes, but I did want to just talk about the Herbert versus Love debate a little bit more. Um, Go for it. So I went back and watched 2018 tape from both of those players, and I think both of them suffered from a lack of talent and a lack of uh, coaching scheme fit in 2019. When I went back and watched 2018, both of, them, both of their offenses played with a much faster pace, They were doing very creative things as far as run-pass option goes. And I think, honestly, like 2018, if Justin Herbert had come out, I think he probably would have been the number one quarterback taken. But then he comes into this year, and I don't know really what happened. I know he lost Jacob Breland, but his receivers are okay. Like, I'm sick of hearing the argument that he doesn't have talent. Like, sure, he didn't have Dylan Mitchell from the last year, but, I mean, Oregon receivers are still four-star, five-star recruits, so I don't really want to hear that argument anymore. Um, but I don't really know what went into the coaching decisions there because he threw a screen pass on almost one third of his passes. So it just really was confusing to me to watch him from 2018 to 2019 because it almost seemed like he or the coaching staff lost confidence in either him or the weapons around him because they went from uh run and gun offense, run pass option offense and let him kind of be creative and and really just lead them to uh lead them to wins and then in 2019 it was like okay, we're just going to dink and dunk and throw screen passes. And it was kind of similar with Jordan Love too because Jordan Love under Matt Wells in 2018, their offense was high octane, high octane, excuse me. They ran a lot of run pass options, they got him out in space. He had probably 20 or 30 rushing yards on every game that I watched. And then you watch him in 2019 and he barely ran the ball. Like they didn't do any kind of zone reads with him. So I think both of them suffered from poor coaching this season. So that is kind of to their credit, but I think ultimately Justin Herbert and Jordan love are much closer than people think. And I think the people that are really anti-love, they think, Oh, love's not as worth a six pick, but Justin Herbert is. And I don't really think that's the case. I think, the pure talent and value of them at six is a reach for either one. But because the quarterback position is so valuable, you have to take a quarterback at six if you want one. So I think the difference between Herbert and love is much closer than people are realizing. You know, they both are good in certain things. Like Jordan love is really good at processing. Justin Herbert's not really good at processing. Um, So I think, they both bring their strengths and weaknesses to the table, but I have them one point apart. I think they're much closer than people think. All
1: right, Tyler, move us forward. So I was in the middle of a, a Patrick Mahomes Google search. The dude only had 356 yards against the Chargers last year. I thought it was more in the, like, from the second game. I knew that first game was really rough for the Chiefs and for Patrick Mahomes. I don't know he didn't do squat in that first Mexico City game. Did but he? Did he top 200 yards in either one? He didn't, did he? No, it was 182 and 174. I was like, "Holy cow!" I don't remember the second game being that bad. I know he ran. A couple yeah, he of ran. Tons. He ran really well against the Chargers. Yeah, he did. And that, I mean, there's there's more of the Chiefs than Patrick Mahomes, but I mean, that's the thing. Like, if the Chargers just protect the freaking football, and it's not like, it's not like they can still run the ball. Like Austin Eckler was absolutely murdering the Chiefs mm-hmm. in that Mexico City game. Yeah, 100. You know, if they figure out how to get the ground game going, that just continues from last year. The defense gets better and healthier. And they don't turn the ball over. I mean, I just – like you said, I, it's so close. But, jeez, I didn't realize Mahomes threw for less than 200 yards and just one touchdown in each and one pick. I mean, goodness. I didn't realize it was like that close. I went
2: back and watched that Mexico City game to, to watch Trey Pipkins, and it was just – it was so frustrating to watch that first half because they were moving the ball at will. And then you get into the red zone and it was like – I remember there was one drive where it was like third and eight and they ran a screen pass out wide to Troy Pope. And I was like, what are we doing here? (laughs) Like the play calling just went so badly in the red zone. And honestly, like the Chargers should have won that game. And they still almost won that game, even with terrible red zone offense and three interceptions from Phillip Rivers. Yeah, everything went wrong. So one more hypothetical for you guys,
3: because I just saw it and I've been seeing it all month long, it seems. Or ever since, ever since the season ended, really. Redskins take to Tagovailoa. Do you trade for Dwayne Haskins?
1: What's the asking
2: price?
3: We'll say a second round pick.
2: If you could do, I actually tweeted this a while ago. If you can send next year's second round pick for Dwayne Haskins, I would do that. And I know that Haskins was in a really tough situation in Washington, but I'm a believer in the guy that broke Drew Brees' touchdown record in the Big Ten, like i'm a believer in that talent i know he doesn't fit like super well as far as the mobility standpoint
1: um but if you can get him for a second or third round pick i would do that for sure i didn't watch a whole lot of haskins but i'll say this i like haskins more than rosen last year i would have been willing not super thrilled but willing to give up a second for rosen so i'd say yeah i'd give up a a second for haskins interesting
3: all right tyler you want to get us into these questions from twitter
1: Sure. Yeah, a couple of questions from you guys on Twitter. I appreciate you sending them in. Um, Let's talk about trading draft picks. What was the? What would be the most you would offer to trade up for Tua? Uh, The difference in point value here isn't that much. It's only six. I'm assuming we're going to pick three here to Mm -hmm. the Lions. The difference is only six hundred points, but there's no way it's only going to be a, a cut like someone's. I think Twitter said like a couple of thirds. Like no, it's going to be you probably give it up. If you if you're bidding unless Miami's just stupid, you know, you're giving up a, a first or something. So what would the most well, I guess what is the most you guys would give up? I would give up obviously If you like Tua, like let's pretend you like Tua.
3: Obviously, well, I mean I like Tua. I mean, mm-hmm. um so I obviously the 6th pick and then mm-hmm. this year second, next year second. Mhm. And then maybe this year's fourth along with it. And then you could swap a couple of picks here and there, but so this year's second, next year's second. And then this year's fourth is I think what I would give up. And I think Miami would destroy that offer, but, yeah. but that's, that's what I would be willing to give up.
2: Yeah. I think the one that Jason is talking about is, would be an ideal trade package. Um, but ultimately I think you'd probably be this year's second next year's first, and probably next year's third, because I think you probably have to offer that first-round pick to uh, even get to the table. Like if Miami and the Chargers are both at the table, there's not a world where the Chargers get him because the Dolphins can say, we'll give you the fifth pick this year and the 26th pick this year, and that's already better than what the Chargers can do. Especially because the Lions, like the Lions want to win now, so that if they could get two first round picks this year, they're gonna take that ten times out of ten.
3: Yeah, and I mean I've heard I've heard some analysts say, like, well, the Dolphins are in a position where they don't wanna trade their first round picks for two. Yeah. Who what they of course they do. If he's their quarterback, they're gonna do any by any means necessary, go get your guy. Like Miami hasn't had an opportunity to go get their guy since Ryan Tannehill, which I mean, we all know how that went. And so I mean like this is the perfect opportunity for Miami to do so. I don't understand why some people think Miami's just going to sit down and let the Chargers trade a- ahead of them to get Tua. I mean, unless Miami likes Justin Herbert more, which I mean, reportedly, some teams do think Justin Herbert is the QB one. I just don't think Miami's one of those teams.
1: All right. How about this one? NFL comparisons for each of the top five. He didn't specify which five. So I'll just say Burrow, Tua, love Herbert from.
2: So Burrow, for me, you know, I mentioned that off script thing. I think. When I watch him, uh, I'm reminiscent of Tony Romo, just like the ability to uh, just kind of do whatever he wants in the pocket and then ultimately just like make a sweet throw and, and uh, just drop a dime on, on at will. I think obviously he wins more than Tony Romo did. I think that was the knock on Tony Romo is that he kind of shied away from the clutch. But you talk about attitude, you talk about skill set. I think... Uh, Joe Burrow compares very well to Tony Romo.
3: That's a really good one, actually. I'm just going to
2: roll with that one. I was, yeah, do the, that one. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> so I'll let you take uh, Jordan Love. Who's your comparison for Jordan Love? All
3: right, this is going to be a bad example, but it's just who I'm kind of like. If you want to go from a technical comparison standpoint, probably Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold for Jordan Love. I think he's better than Darnold. I personally didn't like Darnold, but when you just watch like in terms of like what their strengths are and what their weaknesses are, I- I'd probably say Sam Darnold is his comparison.
2: I like that, actually. I think a lot of people watch what Jordan Love does off the script and think that he compares to Patrick Mahomes. And while they make like similar plays sometimes, I don't really agree with that comparison, and I don't really want to put that on Jordan Love. Um, So Sam Darnold, I like that a lot actually. Uh, So I'll move to Justin Herbert. To me, Justin Herbert is Ryan Tannehill. Wow,
3: that's interesting. I thought you were going to say Josh Allen.
2: I actually think that Josh Allen. uh, I mean, their arm strength is very comparable, but from like a Skill set standpoint, I think Justin Herbert compares very well to Ryan Tannehill, as far as a mobility aspect and being able to throw accurately on the run. Like I actually think Justin Herbert's best attribute is throwing on the run, and you watch him roll to the right, and he's very accurate. And at that point, I feel like he's even more accurate on the run than he is from within the pocket. um But just from like a mobility standpoint, a, a um, style standpoint, I think Herbert really compares to Ryan Tannehill. Um, I think a lot of people have brought up uh, Jimmy Garoppolo as well. I think that's a good comparison as far as his ceiling goes. I think that's a, a decent comparison too. So,
3: Jake Fromm, this is the tough one. I can't really think of a guy. I mean, like you could say Drew Brees or Tom Brady, but that's just not fair. Yeah. Like at all.
2: So, from a style standpoint, he does compare to Drew Brees because he wants to get the ball out quick, throw back mm-hmm. shoulder fades. Not really a great strong arm, but I mean Drew Brees is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Like, can- here's one,
3: a more accurate Jacoby Brissett. Okay, I think I think that's where I would put Jake From. I just like from a from a playing standpoint, not not necessarily from like you know I think Jacoby Brissett has a bigger arm. Um, I think Jacoby Brissett also has a lot of a lot more mobility, but um, just from a throwing the ball standpoint. I think Jacoby Brissett for Jake Fromm. I don't know. This Jake Fromm's so tough to peg, like in terms of like who he's similar to. Um, you could also go Carson Palmer, maybe. Carson Palmer had a much bigger arm though. He had a pretty good arm, yeah, yeah, much better arm.
2: Maybe. I mean, he didn't really do a whole lot in the NFL, but maybe Matt Leinart.
3: This is hard. This is a hard one. I actually want to figure this out now. I want to sit here and we, we're gonna we're gonna put this together like a puzzle. All right. So, but not right now. We're moving dang on. It. Thanks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you can put together your puzzle while I ask the next question. Okay. So, Steven, if the if the Chargers love Herbert and pick him at six, how does it change the team?
2: I think Herbert fits what the Chargers want to do as far as a mobility standpoint. Like I was actually pleasantly surprised at his mobility. Um, he just is really tall and lanky, so it doesn't look like he's super fast, but he, he is really fast. Um, but I guess at that point, it would at least offer you more upside than what Tyrod can give you. Um, I'm not the biggest Herbert fan, and I, I mentioned his limited ceiling is, is like a Jimmy Garoppolo type player. Um, but I think you in this situation, a lot of people will say that Herbert could fight for the starting job this year, but I think you still have Herbert sit behind Tyrod for this year, especially with uh, the lack of offseason that we're headed for with the COVID 19 situation. Um, so for 2020, I don't think it changes the team a whole lot, but then you have the next four or five years where you're 100% committed to Justin Herbert and his development. Um, so it does change the future. I don't think it changes 2020, but I think it does change the future. He fits really well with the team wants to do. His arm strength is a plus plus. I think Shane Steigen could develop him and and work with his processing issues. Um, But I think he definitely should sit for a year behind at Tyrod Taylor. Jason, did you solve your puzzle? No.
3: (laughs) 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 Do I get to to say how Herbert changes the Chargers? Not until you finish your puzzle. Oh. Uh, Okay,
1: yeah, sure, go for it. Fine.
3: So... Keenan Allen is not a good fit for Justin Herbert.
2: I just want to mm-hmm. start with that. No, because Justin Herbert's he doesn't really throw with anticipation and I think I think Herbert more benefits Mike Williams and Hunter Henry than anyone.
3: Right. Keenan Allen is probably on the outside on like You probably have to let Keenan Allen go if you take Justin Herbert because that those two are not going to fit well together at all. At all. Um Oh, Andy Dalton. Maybe that's a good one for Jake Fromm.
2: I like it. (laughs) Sorry.
3: Um,
2: (laughs)
1: You win.
3: Then you talk about the running backs. Now, this is where it gets even more problematic. You're talking about what would benefit Justin Herbert the most is somebody like Derrick Henry or Leonard Fournette. Yeah, Not Austin Eckler, not Justin Jackson. You need a power running game with some play action. Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson are more meant for like inside zone out of the shotgun with some read options mixed into it with some RPOs mixed into it. And then you can run some play action out of the shotgun. I don't know that Justin Herbert's going to fit that very well at all. So you're going to have to change a lot there. You also don't have a fullback anymore. I feel like if Justin Herbert's your guy, you kind of want to keep Derek Watt around to go with that power running game. I don't know. I don't see the fit at all. And I think if they do take Herbert, they have a lot of changes to make or Herbert is not going to pan out. I think if Herbert goes to the right scheme with the right team, he can pan out 100%. I don't think that's the Chargers. I just think, think the Jaguars are a good fit for him. I think the Patriots are a good fit for him because they always manage to find those versatile running backs and they're really good at scheming around their run game. I just don't see it with the Chargers. I don't.
2: Yeah, if you want to talk about like an easy transition from Tyrod and what Tyrod is going to do, it would either be Jordan Love or Jalen Hurts, in my opinion, just from an athletic standpoint, from an RPO standpoint, from a zone read standpoint. I think it would be an easier transition to go from Tyrod to Jordan Love or Jalen Hurts than from Tyrod to Justin Herbert,
1: if that makes sense. Out of curiosity, do you guys think Keenan Allen has any pull on who the – not pull, but you know. Someone's got to ask him, right? I mean, you're one of the best receivers in the NFL. It's like, who do you think think works for you, you know? A lot of guys that fit
3: Keenan Allen best. This is a fun little exercise. I'd say Tua and Love. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Fromm would be a good fit for him because he throws with such anticipation. But in terms of how they fit the Chargers as well as Keenan Allen, I mean, I'm sure Keenan Allen has some pull over that because I'm sure the Chargers know if they take Justin Herbert, like, that's not going to maximize Keenan Allen's potential. But if they take Love or Tua who both throw with like very good quick routes. Like they're very good at those and they throw with anticipation really well. I that fits Keenan Allen more so. And so Keenan Allen per like, I'm sure Keenan Allen's is not going to Tom Telesco and be like, Hey, I want this quarterback. I'm sure Keenan Allen doesn't care. He just, uh, he's just doing his job. But from a team building perspective, if I'm in the GMC, it's just the roster around doesn't fit Justin Herbert. And you You have a top receiver in the NFL in Keenan Allen, do you really kind of want to like do you want to take away what Keenan Allen does best to, because you want a bigger arm? I don't
2: know. I think that's another reason why I'm so high on the chargers getting Tua because you talk about a dream pairing that's Tua and Keenan Allen because you look at what he what Tua did at Alabama with Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy was his guy soaking up 10, 12 targets a game, and in the NFL you you take 10 to 12 targets a game to Keenan Allen. I mean, Keenan Allen already is putting up huge numbers. I think I saw the other day that he is fourth among receivers in yards since 2015, and and that's everybody. His relationship with Philip Rivers, as far as targets goes, was really up and down. Like, the first four weeks of the year last year, he was a target machine, and then Mike Williams was a target machine, and then Hunter Henry was, and then it was back to Keenan. So you talk about the best case scenario for Keenan Allen, that is drafting Tua Tonga-Valoa because Tua loves his slot guys. And you know with Tua, he, he's going to give 10 to 12 targets a game to Keenan Allen.
3: It made me so angry when Keenan Allen would be like open all game long and he would not get a single target. And then like Anthony Lynn after the game and Philip Rivers after the game would be like, well, we have so many mouths to, sp- to feed. It's like, that's not how that works. That's not, <laughs> not how football works. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, did that pick up after they fired Wisenhunt though? It did. They started targeting Keenan a lot more after Wisenhunt was fired. So that might have been a hunt thing. It might have been.
1: All right, let's go. We've kind of covered the rest of these questions a little bit. So let's just go over one more draft scenario. Uh, If whatever order, let's say it goes Burrow, Young, Okuda, Simmons, and Tua, who do you pick at six? I kind of know Jason's answer, I feel like, but what is it? Who do you pick? Oh, that's such a, it's Jordan Love. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's, it's great. It's always been Jordan Love for me,
3: <laughs> but um I'd be very interested in trading down.
2: I, I would love the idea of, of trading down specifically with the Jaguars. I um I think you know you swap nine and ten or nine and six, excuse me, and maybe pick up pick up another that twenty pick or another second rounder, and then you could take Herbert or love at nine. I think that would be much better value. Um but in this scenario, honestly, like if I'm running this team and this scenario happens, I'm taking Cedric Wills. I'm taking the offensive tackle, who I think is the best in the class. You switch him to the left tackle, obviously, which I think he could do. And I think you want to beef up the offensive line, and then you can take Jalen Hurts in the next round or or wait a year and take Jamie Newman like we were talking about earlier. I just want that blue-chip talent at six. Like To me, Herbert and Love, Like if you want a quarterback, you have to take one of them at six. But I don't think that they are blue-chip talent. I think that Okuda... Jedrick Wills, Tua, Simmons, that's a blue-chip talent to me. And so if this scenario pans out, I think at six I would go with
1: Jedrick Wills. All right, guys, that is it for our Revisiting the Quarterbacks episode. Thanks for listening. We're in in April now. It's our first episode of April, I believe, so we are so close to the draft. I'm really excited. We're going to find a way to try to live stream that first round maybe on Thursday. So uh, we'll see. If you guys are interested in that, we'll try to figure it out um but that's it for us so guys jason where can we find you on twitter and instagram
3: so first off before i say that if the chargers draft tyler huntley we have it from steven that he'll get a tattoo of tyler huntley on his neck so (laughs) (laughs) that's not true but i wish it was uh you You should
1: see where jason's getting the jordan love tattoo
3: (laughs) on over my heart
1: (laughs) oh heart that's what it was over my heart
3: for love And um find me at Centauri13 on Twitter at GAC Podcast17 on Instagram and hashtag
2: love at six. So you can find me Steve and I haglin at Twitter and GAC Podcast17. Uh, we are getting our grades released on Patreon. Um, so those who support us at the ten or twenty dollar tiers will have access to that. Uh, we're both trying to get at least two hundred players graded, so that'll be uh, really interesting to have on there. And if you do support us on those levels, you'll get an extra entry into our jersey giveaway after the draft. So uh, make sure you follow us on there if
1: you want to.
2: Um, any extra support is appreciated. But get
1: your credit cards figured out, man. A couple of you guys got declined today. What's up with that? <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, This is Tyler. You can find me at Tyler J. Shoon, and we'll see you next time.
4: The headlines remind us daily the world is a dangerous place.